God, I just pray that your presence would come and comfort us and that your presence would focus us and really speak truth to us this morning. Um, God, our minds and our hearts are on the disasters, both um, physical and uh, just emotional that have happened this week and that are continuing to go on. And we just pray, God, that you would help us to respond as a people that have your presence living in us. We pray that you would um, move this storm and that you would move it in a direction that would protect life, that you would give peace to the people in its path and peace to the people that love the people in its path, Lord, and just that you would uh, do your mighty work there. I pray that as we talk about your presence this morning, uh, that you would really teach us, Holy Spirit, and that you would uh, work through my weaknesses and work through my inadequacies to say what you want to say to each person sitting here this morning. Um, I just pray all of you and none of me, and I love you a lot in Jesus' name. Amen. So some of you may not know, but before I was on staff with our churches, I was a teacher. And I taught um, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, ninth and tenth grade, as well as at Richland College. And I worked with adults at Richland College from 16 all the way up to probably about 70 was my oldest. And one of the things I did, particularly when I taught elementary school, was I had my desks in a horseshoe because I very quickly learned that if a student was not paying attention, if they were talking, if they were falling asleep, if they were misbehaving in any way, that I could walk nearer to them. And the closer I got, the quieter they would be. <laughs> and if they weren't responding, if I just touched them on the shoulder, patted them on the head, whatever, they would respond to that. Because you see, presence makes a difference. Presence makes a difference. When we first moved to Denton was probably one of the hardest times in my life for me personally. My dad was in the hospital and had been for two months when we moved here. He was in the hospital for four more months before he died after we moved here. And also my friend, my very dear friend, who was also taking over my job at Northeast Church, her daughter was diagnosed with cancer. And so I made the decision to keep driving back to Garland to do my job there so that she could focus on helping her daughter to get better. But there was one day in particular that I had been at Garland Church and I was heading back up to Denton and I just felt like I needed to go by the hospital. I had been there almost every day, and I was going to go straight home that day, but I felt like I needed to stop. And so I went in to see my dad. My mom was there, and my mom said, he's just slept all day. And so I was like, okay, well, that's good. His pro body probably needs to be healing. And um, I sat down, and as I sat and, and watched and watched the machines, I was like, something's not write about this. Like, this is not just sleep. And so I went over to speak to him and wake him up and let him know I was there, and I couldn't wake him up. And so I called a nurse, and the nurse came in and was like, yeah, this is not right. And so she called a doctor, and the doctor came in, and he said, 
Okay, so I just want to let you and your mom know what's about to happen. I'm about to call a code on your dad, and when I do, people are going to rush in from everywhere, and it's going to get really crazy and really scary in here. And so mom and I kissed my dad, we prayed, we walked out in the hall, and then I got on my phone to text some of my closest friends and say, hey, here's what's going on, I need you to pray right now. And when I did, immediately three of my closest friends, Cami Harper, Christy Von Runnen, and Gilda Martin, called and said, I want to come and be with you. And I was like, you know, guys, I know y'all have a lot going on. I knew they had kids that they were needing to pick up from school. I knew that they had things that were happening. And I was like, there's not really anything you can do here. So please don't feel like you have to, to come. And so... Um, They did some things. They were able to stabilize Dad a little bit. They put him in ICU. They had to do a trach and put him on a ventilator. And I look up, and there are my three close friends sitting in the waiting room. And they said, we don't care if you need us here or not. We don't care that there's nothing we can do. We want to be here with you. And it wasn't until later that night when they had left that I realized how powerful their presence with me had been. It calmed me, it gave me peace, it gave me something to do while I was sitting there and couldn't do anything to help. Just their presence there was really powerful. And if you talk to someone that's been married for a long time and then lost their spouse, one of the things they'll tell you they miss the most is their presence. Like, it's really hard to describe exactly what it is, but it's their daily presence with you. And they may not even physically be with you every day, but it's just knowing that that presence is there. Because, see, presence is powerful, and presence makes a difference. And presence is missed when it's gone. And today, what we're talking about is how the Holy Spirit is the renewed presence of God with his people. And I think that we miss the power behind that. And so we're going to go back and we're going to look at God's presence with his people throughout the Bible and what that's going to mean for us and for the Holy Spirit being his renewed presence with us. I leaned heavily on three sources, and so I'm just going to cite them up front. Um, One is Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God by Gordon Fee. One is a Regent Audio by J.I. Packer on the Holy Spirit. And one is from Read Scripture, the videos that they did, especially on the book of Ezekiel, um, is one that I'm going to reference some in here. Um, But all three of those are excellent sources. Obviously, the biggest source is the Bible. um, But that's a little easier to cite throughout because I'm going to have scriptures throughout from the Bible than it is to cite some of these other sources. I am going to warn you up front that I'm using a lot of scripture this morning. And so you may not be able to keep up, and that's okay if you can't. If you can't get them all written down and you want to look them up later, come see me afterwards and I'll let you see my notes and see the the references that I have. I'm not even going to read every single one of them. Some of them I'm just going to refer to. But we're going to start at creation. So God was present in creation. 
And God was present with Adam and Eve in the garden. In Genesis 3, 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Can you imagine? Oh, that, that sound. That's God. He's walking in the garden. He's here with us. That blows my mind. And the fall was the loss of being in God's presence in the garden. And in Exodus 19, we again see that God's presence comes on to Mount Sinai when he's giving Moses the Ten Commandments. Okay, so think about the loss of presence in the garden, but God says, that is not my plan. My plan is not for my people to live without my presence. And so you see his presence come on the mountain. And then in Exodus 25, chapter 8, during the time that they're getting the commandments, they also are getting instructions for building a tabernacle. The tabernacle is going to be a temporary place because they're still wandering in the wilderness. And so that tabernacle can be packed up and taken with them. But the tabernacle, he says, is so he can dwell among them. God can dwell among them. And in Exodus 40, chapter 34, when they finish the tabernacle, we see his presence, the glory of the Lord, fill the tabernacle. Then in 1 Kings chapter 6 through 8, we read about Solomon building a temple for God, a permanent place. They're not wandering anymore, so this is going to be a permanent place for his presence to dwell. And we see when Solomon builds it that he uses only the finest things. And if you go back in those chapters and read the materials that he uses, it will blow your mind. The scope and the amount of materials that he uses is mind-blowing. But in Exodus 40, 34, nope, that's not right. In 1 Kings 8, 10 through 13, we read once again that the glory of God fills the temple, and his presence is among his people again. Then we have the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And this happens because the people are hard-hearted, they're stiff-necked, and they're rebellious. And the thing about the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple is it was the loss of the presence of God among his people. So once again, the loss of the presence of God among his people. And in Ezekiel 10, 18, in a vision that Ezekiel has, it says the presence of the Lord departs from Israel when the temple is destroyed. So you can see that it was never God's intention to not be with his people, to not have his presence with his people. And again, as they over and over again rebel and his presence is pulled from them, he finds ways to bring his presence back with them. And if we go back to Exodus chapter 33, verses 15 and 16, and I've got this one up here. 
it says this, Then Moses said to him, who is God, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? See, the presence of God distinguished his people from everyone else. More than anything else, more than the law, more than circumcision, more than food laws, more than Sabbath observance, God's presence distinguished them as his people. The people of Israel understood that they were the people of the presence, the people among whom God dwelt, and they did not want to go without the presence of God. They did not want to go without the presence of God. And so here's my first question to you, and maybe my only question, because we're going to come back to this several times. If the Holy Spirit were to leave you or our church today, would it be any different? If the Holy Spirit were to leave you or our church today, would there be any difference? And I want you to think about that as we continue to look at God's presence with his people. In Ezekiel, what we see is that there is a prophecy that the presence of God will be renewed after the destruction of the temple and that he will dwell with his people again. Ezekiel 37, 27 says, My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, and 37, 14, this is what it says. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. See, he is going to put a new spirit, a new heart, because what, again, the children of Israel, what was their problem? They had hard hearts. And so he says, I'm going to give you a soft heart. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, and that's going to happen through my spirit. My spirit is what's going to cause that. In Ezekiel chapter 37, we read this really strange story um, about a vision that he has about this huge valley filled with dry human bones and skeletons. And he says that his spirit is coming to bring the people back to life. And so a great wind blows and stands these bones up and it fills them with breath. And you see the skin come back onto the bones and these humans created. See, rebellion resulted in death, and so the only hope was for God to recreate. And so this is very reminiscent of creation in Genesis chapter 2. But in verse 14, he says, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. The spirit brings life. And then in Ezekiel 40 through 46, we see this vision of a new temple. Because remember, what did the temple mean to the children of Israel? It meant the presence of God. And so we see this vision of a new temple that's more majestic than Solomon's temple ever was. 
And in verse, uh, chapter 43, verses 1 through 5, we see once again that the glory returns to this temple in this vision. And it says, Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing, rushing wind, and the land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city and like the visions I had seen by the Kebar River, and I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So once again, a vision, a prophecy about the presence, God's presence being restored to his people. And then in chapters 47 and 48, we see this vision of the temple with this tiny little stream flowing out of it and down the front steps. And as it moves through the city, it becomes a raging river and it flows out into the desert and it goes into the Dead Sea. And when it goes into the Dead Sea, things start to live. Things start to grow just like in the Garden of Eden. Because God's spirit, God's presence, brings life. So again, we see the continuity through the Bible of the presence of God, the spirit of God, being connected with life. Which I think is amazing. Like, as I read through this and I look at all these different scriptures and these weird visions that I'm not even sure what to do with, and they all talk about God's presence being with his people and the life that that brings, it blows my mind. Hang on, I lost my place. So the plan has always been from the beginning to restore all of humanity back to his life-giving presence like it was in the garden. And we see at the end of chapter 48 that the name of this garden that's growing from the Dead Sea now that the river has run into it is the Lord is there. The Lord is there. It's the name of that city. So then in the New Testament, what we find is in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You see, we see Emmanuel, God with us. And so we see God coming to us and his presence walking among us in the form of Jesus. And then Jesus says in John 14, 16, and 17, and 16, chapter 7, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says this incredibly confusing thing of, it is good for you for me to go. And the reason he said it's good is because he's going to leave the Spirit. He's not going to leave us alone. He's going to leave the Spirit in us 
in a way that can't be destroyed like the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was destroyed. And then in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 6, we're going to see how Paul picks up on some of what was said in Ezekiel. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Does that sound familiar? Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we were competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but again, the spirit gives life. See, it echoes that Ezekiel passage that we looked at. A new heart, a soft heart, a heart of flesh, is given through a new spirit. It understands the recipients of the new covenant to be inscribed by the spirit of the living God on tablets of human heart. And God's spirit enables his people to follow his decrees so that there is no more of this presence of God being withdrawn. So Ezekiel 36, 27 And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And the spirit gives life. Ezekiel 37, 14, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. Just like 2 Corinthians 3, 6, the spirit gives life. They're connected. They're giving the same message. And one of the messages that we see in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 is that the church is God's temple. Again, what does temple mean? It means the presence of God. That's how they would have understood that. The temple is the presence of God. And so the church, if we're God's temple, we're the presence of God. So 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. See, as the gathered community in Corinth, they form the temple of the living God. And as the gathered community in Denton North Church, we form the temple of the living God. We are God's spirit. We are God's presence in our community. Let that sink in for a minute. We are God's presence in our community. Is it any wonder that we're told to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? Is it any wonder that when God sees discord and disunity among his church, that he sees his presence being destroyed and being threatened and strong statements like if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, become very understandable. It's a big deal. 
And so we see God's presence in us as a church. And if we think about ourselves as being God's presence in our community, it changes everything we do. It changes everything we do. But then we're also seeing God's presence in individual believers. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And guys, these scripture references I'm giving you are not the only places. I just picked a few. It's all throughout um, that you can find scripture references that say these things. These are not the only ones. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Now, this is going to make this next statement so much more profound. If our bodies are the temple, again, the presence of God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You're not your own anymore. Jesus purchased us. We are the temple of God. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The Spirit is present in the church, and the Spirit is present in the individual believer. And here's something that I want um, you to know. So, Israel did not understand that God's whole presence was in the temple. Like, God created the entire universe. His presence can't be capsulated down to one place, right? Okay, so we're not saying that the entire presence of God is is in us. God's presence is with us, but we understand that his presence is too big to be contained in any one place. And so I just say that because I think that trips a lot of us up. A lot of us are like, there's no way that God's presence can be on me. I'm way too small and he's way too big. Okay, but he's concentrating his presence in areas in us, his children. And so I think that the big thing for me about the presence of God dwelling in us is 2 Corinthians 3.18. And it says this, And we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Being in God's presence and beholding his glory transforms us into his likeness. We bear his image. He changes us. He transforms us into his likeness. And that's huge. The Spirit is life-giving. The Spirit is transforming. And the Spirit is doing his work in us as a church and in us as individuals to give life and to transform us to look like him. The Spirit is the fulfillment of the promise that God himself would once again come and be present with his people. In seeking to experience the Spirit, which remember Brad told us last week, that knowing the Spirit is not enough, we need to experience the Spirit. And in seeking to experience the Spirit, it's important that we experience him as the personal presence of God, as life-giving, as transforming. So here's my challenge for you. Does God's presence in me make a difference? 
if the Holy Spirit were to leave me today, would my life, would my church be any different? And if so, how? Because see, what I want you to think through is how does the Spirit make a difference in your life and in your church? Exodus 33, 15 and 16 again. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? See, do we feel that way? Do we feel like if your presence isn't going to go, don't send us? I don't want to go. I only want to be where you are. Do we feel like it would make any difference whatsoever if his spirit didn't go with us? Because if we don't believe that makes a difference, we've got a problem. And I mean that in the sense of this is the place to start. If you don't believe that makes a difference, then you know where you need to start. This is where you need to start. And then the last thing I would tell you is that in seeking the presence of God and seeing the Spirit as the presence of God, one of the best ways you can start to do that is to ask the Spirit to open your eyes to see where he's working and look. I know that sounds really simple and in some ways really ridiculous and in some ways like, duh, but it's where it starts. And I am amazed time and time again when I stop and take the time to look at what I see the, the Spirit doing and what I see the presence of God doing and what difference it makes. But it starts by looking and asking. And then you've got to risk being wrong. You know, okay, so what? If you ask the Spirit to open your eyes and you see something and it really wasn't the Spirit okay, that's all right. Isn't that how we learn? Don't we learn by making mistakes? Don't we believe that the presence of God is big enough to correct us if we're wrong about that? But if we're never looking, if we're never taking the chance of being wrong, how do we learn? We can't. So we have to be willing to risk being wrong. And I'll give you a simple example of that. It's certainly not the only thing I mean by that. Um, but if I feel like the Spirit is urging me to do something, and my first thought is, is this really the Spirit, or is this just me? Then one of my things is, does it violate anything I know about the Bible? And if the answer to that is yes, then obviously the answer to whatever I'm feeling urged to do is no. The other one is, is it going to hurt anybody? If I do this, and it's not the Spirit, is it going to hurt anybody? And if the answer to that is no, then I'm going to do it, no matter how stupid it is, no matter how dumb I feel. Um, because even if it's not the Spirit working, the Spirit can work through me trying to figure out where he's working. Okay? So risk being wrong. And then the last thing is be ready to share. Be ready to share when you come and meet with the body. Because we've already established that God's presence is among his body. And so you may have something that you feel the Spirit wants you to share with the body. Be ready to do that. 
be ready to risk being humiliated, be able to risk being wrong, be able to risk for the Spirit to work through you. The Spirit is powerful. The Spirit is big. His presence is life-giving. His presence is transforming. Let him work through you to transform you and to transform our church community. So as we think about God's presence and specifically about how God came and dwelt among us as Jesus and what a neat expression of his love for us that is, um, I want you to think about that while we take communion this morning. And just how thankful and how grateful and what a difference it makes that Jesus came and walked among us. And what a difference it still makes. And so I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to take communion. I'm going to have um, whoever's going to hold the communion this morning. If you'll be over on this side spread out, uh, maybe one at the back, one on the side and one up front. Then we're going to have this side take communion first this morning. If you haven't been with us before, what we do is take the bread and dip it into the cup. Um, And then if you, once you've taken your communion, if you'll sit down so that then we have room for the other side and the people that are holding it, once you see most of this side is finished, if you'll move to this side to make it easier for these people to take communion, um, then hopefully that'll cut down on the chaos a little bit. And then once we're done with that, we have two more songs. So if you'll come back and sit down and we'll we'll finish up together. All right, let's pray. God, the fact that your plan from the beginning was to be present with your people is so sweet and so, um, I don't even know how to put it into words, but it makes me feel so loved and so important It makes me feel valuable to you, and I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you that your spirit that lives in us is life-giving and is transforming, because without your transforming us, I don't know how I would ever look anything like you do. And I just thank you, God, for giving us your spirit. I pray that this week, as we ask the question, would it make a difference if the spirit left me today, that you'll help us to find answers to that and that you'll help us to grow in that. Um, I pray that we wouldn't be afraid of measuring and coming up short in that area um, because that doesn't change your love for us any. And the fact that we do come up short just allows your spirit to work more powerfully. I pray that you'll lead us into truth as we seek to learn more about your spirit. And I pray, God, that you'll work through our shortcomings. As we take communion together, help us to be reminded of what a big deal it is that you came and walked among us as a man in the form of Jesus. Um, Help us to be grateful and thankful and let that shape and change our lives this week in the way that we see people, the way that we respond to them, the way that we love and serve them, um, in the way that we think. Um, Just transform us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.